Thank you for joining me today on Good News with Twanda Black, where we're discovering some of the most inspiring trials to triumph stories and empowerment moments. Call up a friend and let them know it's time for some good news. Hello and welcome to Good News with Twanda Black. I am your host. We talk with folks from all walks of life about their journey into their good news. How about that? So look, sit back, relax, and enjoy this next guest. Joining me today is Javon Johnson. He is an award-winning actor, playwright, screenwriter, uh, acting coach, Broadway actor, uh, now a, a music person, a music producer, because you have your own record label. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and you're currently starring on Tyler Perry's The Oval. So how are you today? Thank you for I'm joining us. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Tell us about your career. I was reading about you when I was, you know, just kind of taking a look. And uh, you've done a lot of work out there, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been uh, like a little over 20 years in the industry. Uh, graduated master's program at University of Pittsburgh in 1999. So I mm. uh, went to South Carolina State University, HBCU. Um, uh, after graduating University of Pittsburgh, went to University, we went to City of Chicago to uh, be a founding ensemble member of Congo Square Theater Company, which is a, mm -hmm. uh, one of the prominent African American theater companies now in, uh, in the nation. Um, so just just kept going from there. <laughs> I mean, just just grinding and working constantly, um, trying to uh, get to where I am now, and even get it and grow even farther. So, is that what you wanted to do when you were a kid? Oh, absolutely not. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I'm from uh, <laughs> I'm from Anderson, South Carolina, and uh, you know this is also the hometown of uh, uh, late great Chadwick Boseman, who was all, who was all Black Panther and some of the other iconic roles that he played. But this is an industrial community at the time. Young, young black kids like me, we didn't talk about being artists and actors. And I remember as a, as a young boy, I used to watch the TV like it was another world that didn't really exist. It wow. seemed like something that was tangible to me. It seemed like it was an out of space type of thing, you know, and, and you know we didn't meet celebrities. Anybody on TV, we never saw them. Uh, yeah, local celebrities for us was our uh, local news anchors. Um, that was the closest we got to somebody on TV. Um, so most uh, young black men were looking to go into the automotive industry, uh, textile industry, all of the, the plant work we put 30, mm -hmm. 40, 50 years in. That's mostly what our parents did, maybe some nursing. Mm -hmm. uh, if anything with entertainment, it was either you wanted to be a rapper or uh, you was in church singing. Um, that was pretty much it, um, other than sports. If you weren't going to go play college football or basketball or something, you pretty much was going to end up in the industrial industry or something. So that was the culture there. Um, I, I lucked up into this because one of my friends were uh, competing in the, in, in the high school speech and debate tournaments. And, and one of the categories was dual acting, where you had to do an acting interpretation of a scene. And her partner dropped out of her mid-season. And she came to me. She only asked me, not because she thought I had talent, but because I was like <laughs> a high school clown. Like, I just had the personality. And she was like, yeah, come do this. My partner dropped out on me. And she was all distraught. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I wasn't thinking anything about what it was. But we was doing a scene from A Raisin in the Sun. It was um, Benita and Asaga scene. And you get adjudicated on these things individually. So her scorecard, I see her, I see her scorecard and she sees mine. Mm -hmm. 
first few competitions, her scorecard looked great. Mine looked terrible. And I could see that she was getting disappointed in me because she was used to being competitive. Mm -hmm. And I was the reason why she wasn't competitive. She wasn't even placing mm -hmm. in, you know, top three anymore. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. And so one night, I, was, I, I didn't know what acting was. I was watching The Color Purple. And I had the, the, the script next to me and I was watching The Color Purple. And I was watching uh, Danny Glover as Mr. And I just looked at him and he, it was one particular scene. He was doing something and I said, oh, that's what acting is. Whatever he's mm -hmm. doing, mm -hmm. that's what it is. And I said, I got to do that. I didn't have any you know, coaching or I was just like, I just got to do what he's doing. And I just changed that. I went, I went to that mindset. And long story short, that year we were state runner up and the following year we won the state championship. Wow. Um, that was the closest I knew to anything. And even at that time, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna be an actor. Uh, I went to South Carolina State on a choir scholarship, not because I could sing, but oh. because the choir teacher, the choir <laughs> teacher said, you're gonna go to college. <laughs> and I was like, I don't go to college. That's not what my family does. She was like, no, you're going to college. I guess she wanted me to go to college. I guess she saw mm -hmm. something in me that I didn't see. So she got me a choir scholarship and I, you know, it wasn't wow. long before I realized I can't stay on the choir for four years because I can't sing. But there was a big theater building called the Henderson Davis Theater on South Carolina State University that was right next to the music department. And I would look at this big building every day and it, it felt like the building was calling me in there. And, and eventually wow. I, went, I went inside eventually and that was it. I, I got a, a theater scholarship and became the theater president. Oh and, my God. Uh, that was the start of my that's a wonderful, wonderful story. Oh my God. <laughs> How awesome yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah. But now I bet when you go to Hendersonville, you're the star, right? Yeah, that was that's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. So yeah. so you mentioned the late great Chadwick Bozeman and tell us about heaven because I am so intrigued with that. I gotta see it. You know, tell me about that. Well, Heaven was a, uh, Heaven at the time was a short film script that I was writing. And uh, I wanted to, the, 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 the impulse behind writing Heaven was I wanted to create a piece that for me, I thought could make some noise in the festivals and uh, bring some attention to me in the film world as a, as a script writer. Mm -hmm. And that was the intentions, right? And also intended for Chadwick to play the lead role. Um, however, when I gave Chad with the script and he read it, he came back and he said, uh, I want to direct this. And I said, no, man, I'm going to play the lead role. So we went back and forth about, you know, trying to play the lead role versus directing. He was like, no, no, man, I want to direct this. I want to direct this. I was like, okay, cool. You can direct it. And uh, we had auditions and all that process. So uh, he ended up directing. A lot of people don't know that Chadwick's real passion was to be a director. Right. And um, he went to L.A. to pursue that. He was, he was actually going to L.A to get one of his uh, screenplays that was an adaptation of his stage play, Deep Azure, mm -hmm. uh, adapted for, for screen and uh, get his directing career going. But, you know, sometimes God takes us, takes us on a different path to get us mm -hmm. where we want to go. So he ended up blowing up as an actor. Um, uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the chance for, to, for us to see his other skill set and his other talents as a visionary on the director side of, director side of things. But um, he ended up directing Heaven, and um, we spent a three-day weekend in L.A. at some sleazy hotel that that was amazing because I went in there. We, we rented this hotel, and we went in and repainted the whole hotel room. I said, man, what are we going to do? How y'all get this back? 
They said, we just repaint it back. I said, oh, okay. I said, I said all right, right. So, so I remember, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny, I'll tell you a funny part, a uh, funny conversation uh, Chadwick and I had on set. I was in the makeup room, which was another hotel room. And I'm in there in there filming. And they said, hey man, Chadwick needs to talk to you. And I said, what's up? It been good? I said, no, he needs to talk to you. So I come out, we we outside this hotel in the middle of the night, like, I don't know, it was like probably 11.30 at night, LA. And it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a bad part of, part of town. And so we out there talking. I said, what's up, man? He said, man, I've been looking at this moment, man. What do you think about this? I could hear been working on this scene, right? This moment. He said, what do you think about this moment, man? When they get into a tussle, um, do you think her, you know, you think people would laugh if her wig came off while they're fighting? I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, you think you think they would laugh, you know, would it be funny if a wig came off if they were fighting in the middle of the fight? I said, yeah, man, they're going to laugh. He said, no, nah, you think? I said, no, nah, bro, the wig come off. In the middle of the fight, I don't, how, I, said, I don't care how dramatic it is. Oh, no, I said, people going to laugh. <laughs> he was like, and so literally, we was walking through the fight. Like, he was being here, here and I were in the parking lot of this hotel. He was like, well, let's, let's do it. Let's walk through it. You know, because Chad was also a trained fighter. And so, uh, we out there in the parking lot. He's like, okay, what's this? Well, he's grabbing me and we going around. And, you know, and the wig fell off right here. I said, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> so, so uh, we ended up not having the wig come out during the fight, but um, we just had some wonderful times like That's that. That's a great memory, though. Yeah, yeah, great. we had a lot, of, a lot of wonderful times like that. But yeah, so how, how did it do? How did it do in the film festivals? Uh, it did really well. It, it won. Um, I can't remember the awards, mm -hmm. uh, but it did. Uh, I think three or four of the major ones. I can't remember them. It's been been a few. Uh, years now at this point, but it did really well. It did. It definitely did what it needed to do, which, be, which became a project that people had to talk about uh, yeah. at the festival. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so I mean, are, are do regular people get to see it? How do you get to see Heaven? Uh, no, not right now. It didn't, we didn't, didn't do like a real release of it, uh, mm -hmm. and, and and also adapted it into a feature that I'm working on getting product, uh, produced. So at some point, you guys will get to see the feature version of it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. That is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so talk about your role uh, in the Oval, what you're doing right now as the butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I play Richard Halson, who's the head butler at the uh, White House. And um, he's a man of integrity, a man of service. He's ex-military. Um, he's very uh, family-focused man. Um, I love Richard because he's a man who's caught in the whirlwind of madness and he is one of those characters on the show who's always trying to hold things together and mm -hmm. particularly his family and he has so many things around him that's going wrong and he's caught in the middle of it then things happen with his his marriage with, with with nancy if you've been watching the show so he's been hit with a lot um but he's still a man who's trying to keep a grip on sanity in an insane world so when you read the when you read the script for this role um did you think this is me or, you know, like a part of it was kind of you? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one, being a father and being a, a family man myself. Um, and always, you know, when you look at the son Barry and trying to keep him in track and save his life constantly and keep him from making yeah. young childish decisions, constantly, I don't know what that world is like. You know, he's trying to be a protector of your children. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and I've had kids that are, are emotionally reactive 
and not logically reactive. They don't, they're not right. think, they don't think first all the time. And so mm -hmm. Barry's a lot like that, where he's just emotionally reacting to things. And it's like, wait a minute, son, you can't, you know, um, and, and being, and being a, a man of integrity and a, a man who's dedicated to uh, whatever he commits to. I, got, I, I think there's a lot of qualities about Richard that I related to right away. Is that how you choose your roles or, or do you just say, do you ever look at a role and say, I've never done that. That is so not me. And I want to try that. Have you done that? I have done that. It's, it's uh, you know, one, one part is, is always challenging yourself as an artist so you can grow, staying out of your comfort zone. You know, you don't want to always choose things that are just comfortable for you and the things you want to do. You get typecast. Uh, uh, yeah, you get typecast too. I mean, yeah. one time I was playing a lot of preachers. I had to tell my agents, I, I, won't, I won't accept any more preacher roles. Because at some point I saw that, you know, it was, yeah. I was getting locked into a certain certain lane. And I don't even know why I was playing all these preacher, preachers. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, I was doing a lot of them. And I said, well, we're going to stop doing preacher roles for right now. Um, just so I could, have, I could be seen in other types. Yeah. You don't want to get boxed in. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, but you also want to find roles where you, that stretch you that are not so easy when you read them you're like okay can i the kind of roles where you say can i even do this right you know you want to take those leap, leaps sometimes um uh, so i do i do that as well um but also you know to some degree it has to be something that i agree with in some because you don't want to do anything either you don't want to be desperate in the industry and feel like you just got to say yes to everything because uh, right. there is power there's power in no mm -hmm. in this business mm -hmm. um so Absolutely. um you just have to you know use your discernment uh, what what you feel is right for you and your career and where you want to go. Okay, so we're going to switch gears because mm -hmm. you have, uh, well, it's not switching gears because we're going to talk about Sanctify, the gospel music comedy stage play that uh, you're you're producing. And is it when is the tour going to happen? Is it already on tour? Uh, well, we did one uh, show in uh, Watkinsville, Georgia, which is near Athens, Georgia which, which uh, went really well. Uh, we're, we're in the state right now of putting the actual tour dates together. Okay. Um, so dates will be announced soon. Uh, make sure you guys follow us um, on our social media platforms. Uh, we'll be making those announcements about uh, Sanctify Tour uh, that'll be happening. Um, right now, it looks like we'll be going out in March, uh, getting the tour started. So fingers crossed on that, but that's yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's a, a challenge in the middle of a pandemic. You know, what do you do? Yeah. How do you play yeah. this thing? But tell us, yeah, what yeah. is Sanctified about? Sanctified is a hilarious gospel musical comedy uh, about a church. It's based on, it's inspired by my small church in Anderson, South Carolina. And one of the things I noticed, because I traveled a lot, I, I because I, I would go away at times and come back, I had a different perspective on the church because I could always see the, the changes. Mm -hmm. It was happening. Sometimes when you're in something constantly, you can't see how it's evolving. That's true. Um, but but because I was stepping in and out of the church, I would always notice the changes right away. And uh, one of the things that happened um, over the years is we had a young pastor come into a very old traditional church. And he had some young, uh, youthful ideas, a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And he had a vision that the old folks in the church was not going for. And it was all good intentions. However, it was interesting to me to see the old versus the new tradition versus versus evolving. Yeah. Change. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was one of those things where it just wasn't mixing right. And I thought it was a little sad because the youth in the church didn't have a voice. There was a, so there was some point where the youth were coming, 
And then all of a sudden there was no youth in the church at all. Um, and I was like, wow, where did they go? Well, they didn't have a they didn't have a voice in the church. Right. <laughs> so it was nothing there to keep them there. So so sanctified was inspired by those dynamics in my church. And I said, well, I got to write something about this and about the personalities in the church because there's a lot of funny people. Oh God, yes. <laughs> in my church. So uh, that's that, that's why it became a comedy because I'm like, this is this is hilarious. Uh, but this but the subject matter, the issue is very serious. Yeah. in terms yeah. of the dynamic of all black churches sometimes. Yeah. And um, so this young pastor comes in, he wants to use the next revival as an opportunity to bring, to build a congregation. He's a mm -hmm. little flawed, he's a little flawed, but he doesn't realize it because his dream is a little too ambitious because he's he's a little selfish uh, in trying to be one of the mega bishops yeah. and, and uh, mm -hmm. inspiring to be like the Creflo's and the Bishop right, right. And yeah. So it's a little, he has to learn a little bit of lesson about his, his focus and then, um, so that's something he has to learn. And the and the elders have to learn that sometimes you gotta let the reins go. I mean, tradition is great, but but life doesn't get stuck in one place. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, so those are- And that could be any church USA, any black church USA, probably white churches, probably all churches. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Yeah. The show, this show was done in um, Nashville, Tennessee, several years ago. And, it, there was uh, a, a convention, I think a Mormon convention or something like that it was happening. And, and <laughs> our eyes lit up because there was this busload of white people that came and it, we didn't know. We was like, what, what are white people doing? Do they know why they're here? And, yeah. was, <laughs> and it was like, they was just coming in and never, and um, I, was, I was nervous because I had never seen a, a white audience um, watch the show. So I sat mm -hmm. in the back of the theater because I wanted to see. And I was amazed by how these these white folks were on the edge of their seat. They was trying to sing the songs. I said, they don't even know these songs. Why are y'all trying to sing them? And they, and they were laughing. And then, so at the end of it, at the end of the show, we're talking to them in the lobby. I asked them, how did you guys get here? They was like, uh, oh, yeah, we had a convention. And we saw something in the thing about entertainment. And it just sounds like church. So we said, let's go to see this little thing, this little church play. So they didn't know what they was going to see. And but they started talking about oh that's my deacon at my church oh that's my pastor we got this thing going on right now oh I know that I was like oh so these these people in your church too yeah. <laughs> so, and it was like we, we we going through this right now I was like oh wow okay so I yeah. guess a bit of a universality to the story yes yes absolutely so we're gonna definitely keep in touch about that so now I am gonna switch gears a little bit and talk about Authority Music Group. You are now in the record business. So talk about that. Uh, Why did you get in the record business? You know, when I talked about growing up in Anderson years ago, uh, uh, you was either going to be a rapper or singing in church. Well, I was actually an aspiring rapper at the time in, in high school. I was, at, I was actually rapping um, in, in uh, local bands. I was touring. I was going to bars when they, they had the live to get me in because I was on the age. Mm -hmm. uh, just so I could perform and um, started opening a couple of shows. Had a uh, you know, I had a contract offer at one point, and uh, I saw very early how brutal the, the, the music industry is. Mm -hmm. And I think I was in eleventh grade when I said I, I'm not going to I'm not going to pursue that because I had a couple of experiences, and I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. I don't I don't know what this this industry is like, but I'm in a small town. I'm I'm, I'm getting it like this already. I'm like, oh no, I'm not. So I gave up on the, on pursuing that as a career option. Mm -hmm. But I did not know that my my son would become invested in that as a, as a rapper himself. So I just, we discovered that he had talent for it. And um, 
this was probably about four years ago. He was going to the studio all the time. So he was going to the studio and I was like, what are you doing in these studios? And I said, let me hear what you got. And uh, he let me hear it. And I would hear all these rappers on these songs. And I said, I said, you're the only one I really think have a lot of potential. I said, I'm not saying that as your dad. I'm saying that as another artist. <laughs> and I asked him, I asked him, I said, is this something you really want to do? Because, you know, he was a star athlete. He was a star football player at high school. Get recruited by like Princeton and um, Yale. And, um, but he didn't want to go to play college football. So I'm like, what are you going to do with your life? Okay. So he said, this is what I want to do. This is my voice. That's all I got to say. And I was like, okay, well, let me help you. So originally it started out with me managing him. But again, I'm not necessarily knee deep in the music industry. Although I know of it and know people in it, I didn't really work in that lane. So I said, let me manage, I said, I'll manage you to a point where I can't manage you anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it got to that point, found him a manager, and then I realized, you know, I can't be hands off on his career. So that sparked the record label. And I got with my uh, my, my childhood friend, who's also from, also from Anderson, South Carolina, Keltis Lindsay, who also went to South Carolina State University. And I said, hey, he's also worked in radio and he's been involved in music over the years. I said, well, let's start this label. It's something we always wanted to do. We always wanted to be in music and, and entertainment, period. And so we agreed to start the label, but it was sparked by uh, my son's dream um, to, be a, to be a successful rapper. That's a good dad. So what, yeah. how's, how's his career going? What's happening? It's going great. We're just getting started. We uh, we had to groom him and because yeah, I believe in artist development. I don't believe in putting people out there just because. I got to make sure that people are ready um, yeah. because that's the give yourself the preparation and preparation and knowledge is one of the you know two important components to give yourself the best shot at having a a, a real career. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to we don't want a one hit wonder type of artist. Uh, we want an artist that's in for the long haul. Uh, so we spent at least about a year just developing him, just getting him in the studio. He has probably a hundred songs now. Wow. Um, uh, we're just at the point now where we're going to push them out there and get them on tours and and uh, get some releases and we're working on getting the EP together now to release that. So he had to work though. He had to put the work in. We had to see if he was serious about it. See how yeah. committed he was to it because I don't, you know, I don't like to waste my time, waste my money. That's right. Any of that, you know, all my knowledge because knowledge is very, you know, there's a lot yeah. of value in your knowledge. And so I'm very particular about how I use those things. And uh, it, didn't matter, it didn't matter that he was my son. It mattered that he was a dedicated, serious artist with a lot of, with the potential and the talent uh, and the passion to, to build on. So, that's right. yeah. That's right. How many of us get to help our children in their careers, you know? I know, yeah. Yeah, not not a lot, not a lot. Sometimes we just have to let them go. But one more yeah. thing, um, Barefruit Conservatory. And um, I bet that's one of your probably proudest things that you do at this point. It is one of the proudest and one of the hardest. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it's, it's always difficult. You know, it's, it's unfortunate to say this, but most of the, the difficult challenges I had, the most difficult challenges I've had in my career in terms of building things is always been working at home. Mm-hmm. And I don't know <laughs> why that's the case, because sometimes it's just easy to go somewhere else and, and, and do things. And it may just be that people are too familiar with it. Maybe they just know too much about yeah, you. Yeah, there's no honor because they, yeah. oh, oh, that's just old Bobo from over here. You know, that's yeah, just like, absolutely. like absolutely. Yvonne grew up in the hood, yeah. right? And I, and I get that all the time. I get that yeah. all the time. Yeah. But, but what happens is there's a lot of layers uh, that involve with that mindset because one, it's a lack of respect for your accomplishments. Absolutely. And they, they don't want to oftentimes give you the space to 
share the knowledge that you have because mm-hmm. sometimes it, it, they they receive it as oh well you think you better or right, right. you think I you think I don't know and mm-hmm. you know it's just mm-hmm. a lot of things that happen which makes the makes it very difficult to work at home. But I also know, like I said earlier, the TV seemed like another world to me when I was young, and it wasn't something that seemed tangible to me. I used to I used to come home and I'd be in Walmart and people say, hey, they try, they, I always laugh because they always trying to figure out where they know me from. And then I just wait and let it take its take its process, and then everybody yeah. figured out. And then then when they figured out, the first thing they would say is, "What are you doing here?" And I used to, it used to, you know, take me aback when they would ask that because I'm like, I'm from here. This is my hometown. But then I had to process that in my mind. I said, you know what? That's why I need to be here. That's right. That disconnect. Yes, you know? that's why I need yeah. to be here because if I can stand in front of you and you can go home and turn the TV on and see me on the TV, now you're not like that little kid I was who only saw local news anchors <laughs> as celebrities. Now you're like, this dude is in Walmart shopping on aisle seven mm-hmm. in my hometown. So mm-hmm. that to me makes it a tangible thing for you. Like, because, because if, if I want you to say, if I can do it, you can do it too. Some people get insulted by that statement, but I want you to say, well, thank you, John, I can do this and I can do it too. And my response is, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. You can do it too. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I had to adjust my thinking um in regards to the reactions i was getting but also i said well there's not a lot there's got to be a lot more tabby bozeman's and javon johnson's and and people like that who are in this community who are who are here lying dormant and don't have permission to dream and don't even know how to dream or don't even know how to go about building their dreams i said they got they're here Mm -hmm. we just don't have a means to cultivate them we don't have a means to give them permission and we don't have a means to point them in which way to go. And so I was like, well, well if I'm going to be, when I move back to South Carolina, I said, if I'm going to be here, I, I should build here yes, and, 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 and give something that aspiring artists have an opportunity. Because everybody can't get in the car and, you know, drive all the place, uh, fly to New York and go to LA and mm-hmm. try to get all the training and learn the industry. Everybody don't have the opportunities to do that economically or whatever your family situation is, everybody can just pick up and go. And so I said, well, let me build something that people can just be groomed in, in the state of South Carolina and give them a chance to really have a shot um, at a career in this industry. Um, so that was the impetus behind that. And uh, it's, been, it's, it's been going well um, so far. Uh, we're, we're building very fast, and it's um, still a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of hard work. What ages? What ages are you? Are you teaching all ages or just children? We're, we're teaching. No, we're teaching all ages. I think. The, I think the youth go as young as eight, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of uh, teachers that I trained up who didn't even know they were being trained to teach, <laughs> but they're wonderful teachers now who teach the the, the kids and teenagers and uh, some of the other courses and then I, I teach as well uh, we have april kelly who uh, a lot of um, um atlanta, uh, atlanta folks and South Carolina folks know she's very connected in the network who teaches um over voice um, classes um so we have a great uh staff in terms of training very cool. um, yeah we take all we take all, all ages okay. young okay. to old yeah just just great work great work and and your discernment and your wisdom you have a lot of wisdom 
um, as far as what you're doing and what you're bringing to life, you know. Um, so tell everybody how they can reach out to you, how they can find you. We know we can find you on Tyler Perry's old. Right, how they can find you for Sanctified, how they can find yeah, you for the Authority yeah, Music yeah, Group, yeah, yeah. for Barefruit Conservatory, all the other great things. Yeah, that you yeah. Do. You, you can find all about Barefruit Conservatory at www.barefruitsc.com. And Bear is B-E-A-R. And uh, you can follow me on all platforms at I am Javon Johnson. <clears throat> but also Javon Johnson Productions uh, on Instagram is where you find out most of the information about Sanctified and their productions. Uh, you can also go to the website, DevonJohnson.net as well. All right. All right. Well, thank you for spending time with me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, God bless you. You know, we'll be following you. We can't wait to see Sanctified here yeah. in Atlanta. I know you're coming yes. to Atlanta, so we're excited yes. about it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Twan. I appreciate it. All right. Oh, great guest. Look, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at twandablack at thepgnetwork.org or good news at thepgnetwork.org. You can watch the show via PGN TV and on all digital streaming apps or visit pgntv.org. Hey, I'll see you next time with some great news, some good news. God bless you.